This is M.I.P. With Masamela Mafumo. Mark Thompson. Get woke. Ladies and gentlemen, I've said it many, many times how much I enjoy reading ProPublica and their great work. I hope you do as well. And there's another story out, a new story out we want to take a look at. It's very important um, when we look at things like this and the disproportionality of these circumstances. We always talk about law enforcement and criminal justice. But what about child welfare? The headline is from ProPublica, for Black families in Phoenix, child welfare investigations are a constant threat. And so joining us now, and you should mention that this uh, piece was written in partnership with NBC News, joining us now from ProPublica to talk about this matter is Agnel Phillip and Eli Hager. How are you both? Doing well, thank you. Um, I'm doing well as well. Okay, great, great to have uh, great to have you both with us, uh, Agnel. I'll start with you. Um, uh, what alerted you to this matter so that you could do a story in the first place? So, um, and, and maybe Eli can can provide some more details because he's been reporting on this for reporting on the child welfare system for a very long time, um, but. There was a study last year done by researchers with Rutgers and Duke universities that tried to estimate essentially how uh, prevalent child welfare investigations uh, were among different racial groups. And, and what they found was that 63% of black children in Maricopa County would experience a child welfare investigation before they turned 18, uh, which is a shocking statistics. And I'll, I'll let Eli kind of talk more about, you know, what the discussions were in the in the newsroom about pursuing that that further but we knew number one that we wanted to do our own analysis of, of the data to kind of learn a little bit more and also do some reporting to figure out exactly what the impact was of how pervasive these investigations were so i'll let eli talk a little bit more about it please eli go right ahead yeah well, i mean what we what we really wanted to get across was the sheer pervasiveness of this problem and, and this system right um uh, I, I think sadly the, the notion that there would be a disparity, um, between how often black families are investigated by child protective services agencies and white families due to, uh, racial bias and systemic, um, racism, um, wasn't, wasn't the story itself. The story was just how common, just how pervasive, how ubiquitous these investigations are, um, the notion that two and three black children in Phoenix, where I live, um, would, would go through a CPS investigation by the time they turn 18, we wanted to get across what a com community wide, um, problem this is and, and how many people are affected by it and, and, and what they experience. Your study shows that from 2015 to 2019, the last full year of federal child welfare statistics, that's 2019, available for the pandemic. From 2015 to 2019, uh, ch uh, Child Welfare Services investigated the family lives of one of every three black children in Maricopa County, the most populous county 
uh, in the state and, of course, where Phoenix is. One um, uh, out of every three black children. Well, what, either one of you, what, what is that about? How did that come about? What is the, why is that so pervasive? Well, that's what our investigation, we, we tried to get at some of what the causes are systemically, and there are a few. In, in some cases, it's um, just direct racial bias. Um, uh, uh, the, the staff of many CPS agencies, in, including DCS, are mainly uh, white and generally in their 20s and might not have experience with parenting. Um, and so they're, and it might be their kind of their first job out of college often, um, it's low paying and there's a lot of turnover. So, um, it was, it, the common situation is a, um, a young white person without much experience making judgments, often relying on biases and prejudices about, you know, whether what's going on in a household is to, in their view, dangerous for, for children. Um, so there's some that are, you know, just direct bias, but then there's also kind of the more systemic, um, reasons, which is that, um, Arizona, yeah, it's not, not unique in this way, but it takes a particularly, um, kind of closed fisted approach toward families who are struggling, uh, the safety net here has been shredded. Um, the main option for parents who are struggling with things related to poverty is to call DCS, uh, which comes with the possibility of family separation attached to it instead of kind of services for uh, whatever issues they might be facing that don't come with the possibility of their children being removed. So these are a number of the things that we found that kind of have led to this very, very high rate of black families being investigated, um, especially here, but really across the country. You mentioned families reaching out to DCS, because that was my next question. How do they even come in contact with this agency? Uh, Agnell, is, so is it the case that when families are having trouble, um, even financially, they call the Department of Child Services and then that triggers an investigation? So there can be a number of different ways that a family can get on DCS's or, or CPS's radar. Um, you know, there's a, a class of people called mandatory reporters that we covered a little earlier this year. Um, but basically people who have to report um, legally have to report uh, when they suspect that child abuse or neglect is going on. So that includes teachers, that includes doctors. Um, those are a lot of the common ways that parents will have an allegation um, forwarded to, to CPS that they will then investigate. And, um, you know, we covered that in, in, in that story, but, uh, you know, oftentimes in, in places where the social safety net maybe isn't as um strong or the, the services are not quite as available, um, a lot of times those mandatory reporters are just, you know, reporting issues that they see that may not necessarily be, um, you know, abuse on the part of the parent, but they don't really have anywhere else to turn. This is their legal responsibility and this is um, what uh, they're, they're trained to do. And and the outlet in places like, like Arizona for that is the, the Child Protective Services. Uh, agency. So um, those are some of the ways in which parents can get on the radar. Um, I'm not sure how often parents themselves are kind of reaching out for help and then end up in the in the throes of, of, of a CPS investigation. You kind of have this whole infrastructure 
surrounded around surveilling uh, families, oftentimes poor families and, and families of color that can, that can get them embroiled in these sorts of investments. Eli, those who are doing mandatory r- reporting, why are they so focused on black families? Well, I mean, again, I think you, you have to chalk some of it up to just direct uh, racial prejudice. Um, you know, it, it's hard to demonstrate, you know, what's in people's minds when they're making decisions about whether to call the uh, child CPS or whether to call the police. But for example, in our story, we, we highlighted the case of somebody named Nadia Richards. Um, she moved from out of town to Phoenix and, uh, you know, within months of arriving here, she gave birth to her youngest daughter. Um, and at the hospital, they performed a drug test on her baby, which it's not hospital, it's not hospital policy to do that for all children. And the reasons why they did that to her are unclear. Um, they, she says that they said that, um, it was because she was from out of town that they did the drug test, but she thinks it was the color of her skin and um, it ended up being a false positive. But in the meantime, it led to this very kind of um, humiliating uh, CPS investigation in which they interrogated her other children and checked their bodies and didn't let her be alone with her newborn child. And so, you know, even when it's an investigation that doesn't last very long, it can be very humiliating and devastating and uh, intrusive. So for the uh, families that are investigating, how how many of them are are found to actually, um, how many of those families are actually found to be guilty, for lack of a better word, of of mistreatment or maltreatment toward their children? I I think you'd be good to answer that. Yeah, so um, we'll we'll look at Maricopa County, um, where Phoenix is that the, the the story kind of centered on. So among the children that were investigated or, or experienced an investigation in that five year period, about seventeen percent um, had at least one uh, substantiated allegation, which basically means that the the caseworkers believed there was evidence that maltreatment occurred. Um, that's Already a you know a subset of a fairly small subset of the the children that get brought into the system, but when you look specifically at allegations of physical or sexual abuse, it's just two percent of the the children that were uh, investigated during that time period who actually had um, evidence that they were physically or sexually abused during that time period. So a very very small subset of of the children brought into the system experience any form of what the state terms maltreatment, but even fewer experience um, what what we would commonly think of as, as abuse. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. I, I have to ask, where... Are, is this mandatory reporting going on mostly in the schools? I'm, I'm trying to understand what is happening, Eli, that would cause that kind of reporting that ultimately ends up being unfounded. Agno mentioned uh, of, of physical or sexual abuse. I mean, what are these reporters seeing, the people who are reporting this, 
that makes them think there's, there's some type of physical sexual abuse going on when they're falling two percent. It's only happening for two percent, or it's only exists for two percent. Such a small number. Yeah, well, I think I mean three of the main groups of mandatory reporters are teachers or you know school uh, professionals. So uh, you know, and teachers have a very low rate of um, you know allegations that they may be substantiated. Uh, they don't necessarily know what's going on at home, but they they uh, they they might see like a bruise or something, or they might think that the child looks malnourished or. Um, is falling asleep in class, like they don't have anywhere to sleep at home or something. And they, and they um, you know, because of the law, as Ackman pointed out, they feel this kind of like legal responsibility to call in and say that they have a concern about this child, even though the bruise could have been from, you know, playing with the cat or dog or the, you know, being tired could have just been from staying up late watching TV or, or you know. Um, so teachers are a big source, medical professionals and in Arizona and elsewhere are uh, a, a large source of these allegations, um, uh, including, you know, kind of the, the drug testing issue I mentioned with um, new mothers. Um, police and law enforcement are a big source of the allegations that come in. They, they, they might ar arrest a black parent for something and then call DCS because that uh, black parent is in jail for the night and, and then it becomes a, you know, a child removal and it lasts, you know, a long time. Um, those are three base sources. It should also be noted though, that, um, people can call in anonymously, which is one of, um, what some critics would say a, a flaw of the system that, you know, you know, um, a mother's former former abuser or just an, an ex in general or a, a neighbor who has a grudge, those kinds of people can call in and say, like, I, I think this person is being abusive and they don't have to say who they are. Um, so that's a source of some, some of the reports as well. I, I also would be curious for an answer to this. We're talking about black children. Are these teachers doing this mandatory reporting? What, what is their background and race. Are we talking about white teachers? Are we talking about black teachers? Do we know? Uh, we, we, I, we don't, I don't think we ever did a breakdown of, uh, uh, of the race of teachers in, in Phoenix, but you know, the city as a whole, um, is about 7% black and it's a, a it's a lower, uh, percentage black population than many other large cities in the country. And w one of the results of that, I mean, Phoenix generally is a very sprawling kind of spread out area. Um, but for the black community in, in particular, um, according to a lot of the interviews we did, people feel kind of very surrounded by white people here. And so, um, yeah, white teachers, white doctors, white people, na white neighbors who could, who could call DCS on them. Um, and, and so it's a, kind of a very isolating experience. So are these, are these black families and black parents living under fear, would you say, Agnell? That's certainly what the uh, reporting that Eli and, and I and, and our colleagues at NBC, I think, I think showed there's a, what we termed a community-wide dread associated with these, these, these sorts of cases and what some have referred to as a, as a generational curse. So it's something that it seems like a lot of these families carry with them. Yeah. And I, if I can jump in, like it, it's, it's both this fear 
because these investigations are so common that you, you kind of never know when the next knock on the door is going to be, but it's also a disbelief, right? Uh, that, that was something that was expressed a lot. Like, how could it be possible for the state government to come into our private lives this often and potentially remove uh, our children? Um, kind of a disbelief. And, but because there's such a stigma around um, being investigated by child services, it, it, what we also found in our reporting is that um, even though it is so common, people were also feeling kind of lonely in the experience. There, there weren't a lot of outlets to um, share that they had gone through this. There weren't a lot of ways to organize around it because there's a lot of stigma about just even admitting that you had this particular agency look into to your family life. I'd also be curious to know the, the state because we know that this is a problem in many school systems, especially after the pandemic, the, 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 the availability of the state or the availability of, of counselors in the schools for young people, you know, because it, I mean, this, this is double layer kids need counseling anyway, but then if you're going to be stigmatized by this experience and, and be threatened to be on investigation and perhaps taken away from home, then you need counseling and therapy for that disproportionately. So, I mean, I don't even know how you, you know, how one begins to climb out of that deep hole under these circumstances is, is, are the, are the, any members of the community organizing families, parents trying to push back against this? Uh, yes, definitely. Um, I think especially in the last few, few years, um, uh, that stigma that I was talking about, people have um, been a little bit more able to move past it and share their experiences and, and kind of realize together how common this is and, um, and, and unite a little bit more about around the experience. And so there's a couple of community organizations, like there's one called Our Sister, Our Brother, uh, which was founded actually by somebody who, who used to be a caseworker for DCS, but realized what a problem um, the racial disparity was and, and left the job uh, to kind of work on the problem from the outside. And he, he has now been organizing parents across the Phoenix metro area who have gone through this um, and they've held, you know, meetings and rallies and now they're meeting with DCS more regularly. And DCS is, um, it, it, it appears making, making an effort to um, try to fix this problem. They, they've taken some initial steps um, training their, their workers in different ways uh, to make sure they understand um, the systemic causes of racial inequity. Um, they're, they're, they're trying to um, make sure that somebody of, of the same race is present uh, upon their initial contact with a family, uh, somebody who's trusted, maybe a friend or a neighbor or clergy. Or, um, and, and so they're, they're, they are taking some steps, but it's, it's been driven by their community action, I would say. Um, you know, the advocacy has pushed DCS to really take this issue seriously. Agnell, what's next, or is there a next when it comes to your reporting? Are you all going to be following up on this story, doing more investigating? Yeah, so this was part of a year-long series that, that we've done, um, and we've got um, at least one more story that we're, we're trying to get out. We've, we've been trying to tackle kind of the various aspects of the child welfare system uh, in the country, you know, from those mandatory reporters that we were talking about all the way through, uh, you know, the, the most extreme outcome that can happen in the system, which is the, the loss of parental rights. Um, so, so we're going to continue 
definitely looking into this, I, I think even beyond uh, this year. So uh, there's there's a a lot of things to dig into. I think kind of the the interesting thing, kind of going back to your last question, it seems like I think within the the black community, I get the sense that this that this has been known about for for a long time. But there seems to be kind of a greater awareness nationally about how many parallels there are between the child welfare system and the criminal justice system. I mean, we're talking about a lot of the same sorts of things that pervasive nature of it in, in certain communities, especially um, within the black community. And, uh, you know, we, our series is, has tried to look at this system through that, through that lens. And I, I think it's been very instructive for us and, and we're hoping to kind of carry that lens through because it does, you know, offer a different perspective on, on a system that many people don't necessarily think of as being an extension of the, the criminal justice system, but in many ways is more powerful and, and acts, um, you know, very similarly. Yeah, very, very powerful point. Criminalization is criminalization is criminalization. And this is another aspect of it, folks. Surveillance is surveillance uh, is surveillance. And that's why we like ProPublica, because they take the time uh, to do this and, and, and cover this type of, of information and expose these stories. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Because just, just to recap, I want people to get the full impact of this. Um, one of every three black children in Maricopa County, where Phoenix is, um, um, uh, families under investigation. Um, by the time black children in Maricopa County turn 18, there's a 63% chance that they will see their parents investigated by child services. The highest rate of any of the 20 largest counties in uh, the nation. For every 100 African-American kids in Maricopa County, 63 will experience this type of child uh, family services investigation. Uh, for every 100 white kids uh, in Maricopa County, 33 will experience um, this type of investigation. For the black kids, for the 63 that will experience it out of the 100, 19 will be pay placed in foster care uh, the parents of six of these kids will have their parental rights terminated. Um, for the 33 out of 100 white kids in Maricopa County, eight of the 33 kids will be placed in foster care. And only three of those kids' parents will have their parental rights terminated. Uh, too much, too high. These things are important. And that's, again, why we talk about, you know, we just had these midterms. We talk about down ballot. Uh, th this is at the local level. So when we when we vote for local officials and state officials, these type of things we need to know, the type of information we need to have. And ProPublica always does right by us by sharing uh, this type of information so we can know this. So, folks, um, please check out this article, share it with others at ProPublica.org. Uh, Links will be available to you wherever you are listening to us right now. I want to thank my guests, uh, Agnell, uh, Philip and Eli Hager for taking this very important story on. Thank you to you both. Thank you as well. Yes, okay. thank you.
Thanks for getting woke and listening to Make It Plain. As always, perform an act of kindness on behalf of an elder or young person. Write a letter to a sister or brother who just so happens to find her or himself incarcerated. Offer libations to the ancestors upon whose sturdy shoulders we all now stand. And above all, give thanks to the God of your understanding by whatever name you call her and him. All God asks of us is that we give each other love. Thanks for giving MIP love. And please remember to subscribe and give us a five-star rating. If all hearts and minds are clear, it has been made plain.